So we got to part, th- part three of this series, and what we've discovered so far is that God is one big, massive God. I mean, there's no doubt about it. God is one huge God. And not only that, is he a huge God, but he also made the greatest act this world has ever seen. And it was this massive sacrifice of sending his son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth and die for you and me. Well, today I want us to get a little smaller today and uh, take a look at what the greatest mission this world has ever seen is. Now, most people or many people believe that the greatest space mission that this world has ever seen was the NASA-led Apollo missions. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hands who remember the Apollo missions, and, uh, but I'm sure there's few of you here this morning. You remember the Apollo missions. Well, this mission had one goal, and that was the moon. It was to discover the moon. They wanted to explore the moon. And it took many different trips, many different missions to actually get to the moon. And then it took more to circulate around the moon. Then it took others to land on the moon. And then it took others to study the moon and then bring back pieces of the moon to earth. And while this was happening, the world watched, the world supported it, and the world celebrated. I'm not sure if the Russians celebrated, but everyone else celebrated. And we even made movies about these missions. And these Apollo missions will go down in the history books as one of the greatest missions of all time. But let's think about this mission just for a moment. We spent billions of dollars. There was countless of man hours that was spent and used and People went to bed late trying to do it. We hired the best people in science. We spent more than a decade doing it. We traveled the one-way trip of 250,000 miles to the moon and back on countless occasions. And what did we find? Moon dust. Found a lifeless rock. A lifeless rock. I mean, yes, scientists, if you're a scientist, you may argue with me this morning. Yes, we discovered some information that, in all honesty, will probably help you on the game show Jeopardy. That's about it. But the result was a lifeless rock. Have you ever thought, why aren't we taking trips to the moon anymore? Why why aren't we hearing about the space shuttles going to the moon anymore? Because there's nothing there. It's a lifeless rock. That's what it is. And yet we spent all this time, all this money, we celebrated, we thought it was the greatest mission ever to find a lifeless rock. I wonder what God thinks when he thinks of the greatest mission this world has ever seen. I guarantee God is not thinking about NASA. He's not thinking about spaceships. He's not thinking about science. He's not thinking about moons. He's not thinking about rocks. And he's not thinking that Houston, there is a problem. I had to get it in there, you know. Do you know what God thinks about when he thinks about the greatest mission this world has ever seen? He thinks about you and me. You and me. You know, last week we discovered that the greatest act that God had ever done was not to put the stars into place. It wasn't to form this earth. It wasn't to light the sun. The greatest act that God had ever done was to send 
Jesus, Jesus, God in human form, the one they called the Word, the Creator, the one who spoke life into being, left his throne in heaven, condensed all his power, and he gave his life for you and for me. It was the greatest act of God ever. And this Jesus, God in human form, the Creator, the one who spoke the world into being. Jesus has now left the greatest mission of this world to you and me, his church, the church of Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus created the church, or Jesus told the disciples to form this church, he didn't do it so that they could have a religious gathering. It wasn't a ritual so they could do once a week and feel good about themselves. It wasn't to form a group of friends that you could just hang out with and, you know, you could just play games and talk fantasy football and, you know, do your nails together and whatever. And that's just the guys, you know. (laughs) It It wasn't that. He he didn't create the church so that singles could find their mates. E-harmony is way better. Not that I have any knowledge of that. He didn't create the church so that people with bad hair could go on TV. I mean, let's be honest. He didn't create the church so that people could just have a taste of God. So that once a week, we could have a, have a, a, a good old holy rolling hoedown every Sunday morning and go out and say, yeah, we experience God. That is not why God created the church. He created the church for one reason and one reason only. And that was to go on a mission. To go on a mission. And today I want to talk you through what that mission is and what God wants from you on that mission. Because you and me, we are part of that mission. If we are part of a church, we are part of that mission. And this morning I want to tell you three things that I believe that this mission is all about. And the first one is this, Jesus Christ, the, the, the creator, the word, the one who spoke the world into being. He created the church to be a massive light and a preserver of truth. A massive light and a preserver of truth. You know, there's one purpose for light. And that is to distinguish the darkness. To distinguish the darkness. It's so that you can see. If you didn't have light and you couldn't see, then you couldn't do a lot of things that you want to do. Ladies, in the morning when you're doing your hair and you're putting your makeup on, imagine doing that when there's no light. Some of you probably got so good at it, you may be able to do it. But the rest of you, you'd probably look like the Joker if you came out. Guys, Could you imagine doing your work every day, going here and going there? Could you imagine just playing some sports or working out and not having any light? You're going to end up hurt and injured and like limping around. There is one purpose for light, and that is to distinguish the darkness. It's so that you can see, so that you can have vision, so that you know where to go and where you have been. If we didn't have light, we could never experience the fullness of this world. You wouldn't be able to see the the trees and the sky and the mountains and the rivers and the valleys. You wouldn't be able to, to see other people. Could you imagine not being able to do that? Well, Jesus talked about this. 
One day Jesus got everybody together, all his followers, and he sat uh, uh, on the side of a hill and he started to teach. Uh, and, and he gave a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, there was a piece and he said this. Jesus says, you, talking to his followers, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Then he says this, you are the light of the world, a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So Jesus here, he tells his followers that they are two things. He gives these examples. He says, you are like salt and you are like light. Let's talk about light first. We're, we are the light of the world, Jesus says, the light on, of the world. So if we are the light of the world, that means there must be darkness. There must be darkness. And this world is very dark. Not physically dark. It only stays physically dark for, I don't know, eight hours, maybe this time of year, a little longer. But spiritually, this world is very dark. There are people who cannot see. They cannot see that there is a God or that God loves them or that God died for them or that eternity is on the other side of this life. There are people, they are so blinded by the darkness that they have no direction and they can't even see where they've been. They can't make good choices because they are in darkness. They can't see what is right and what is wrong because they are in darkness. This week I was having a conversation with someone in our church who has just been praying for one of their friends. And then one of their friends said to them, I believe in God, but I don't believe God cares for us. That I believe in God, but, but why would God let this happen in the people's lives? And this one, that person is a nurse and they see people die all the time. Why would God allow that? Well, the reality is, is that person is still in darkness. Because they can't see the fullness of God. All they can see is what is around them. And Jesus calls us as his church to be light. So our mission as a church is to be a massive light, to shine bright so that the darkness can be distinguished. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I, 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 there, there's, there's always things that go on in, in church life that kind of make you happy, make you sad, make you laugh, make you cry. And, 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 and I remember a lot of these things that over the last three years that, that we've had this church and, you know, there's been a lot of things. Well, a couple of weeks ago, there's one thing that happened that, that will stay in my memory for a long time. And Sunday afternoon, we had a good day at church. We had a lot of visitors in and people who just really experienced God. And we felt God had just really showed up and turned up. I got an email from a lady and uh, the email started like this. It started, I visited your church today. And I came in and I went out and nobody talked to me. She said, it was hard enough to be a visitor, but then when you don't feel welcomed, it's even harder. And I read it and it's one of those moments, it's like, ah, you know, someone just stabbed you in the stomach. 
And I got mad and I got disappointed. And this is why I got mad. I didn't get mad because no one talked to her because the reality is, is she probably came in late, left early because I think you guys are the friendliest church ever. You should have grown up in my father's church. You know, growing up, man, they were nasty, you know? Even if you were like their brother, they didn't talk to you, you know what I mean? But, but you guys are great, you know what I mean? You, you really are. And, and it's just a lesson that, you know, talk to people, be nice to people. But this is why I got mad and upset because that person could have been given a chance to church for the first time in their life. And they could have come in and they would have left and we did not shine as they wanted them to, as, as she needed to shine. The church did not shine as she needed the church to shine. And we get busy and, the, you know, things happen. But you know what makes me mad? We are on a mission to reach people with the light of Jesus Christ. And when we stop shining, then there's no point of us even existing. And that lady, she was probably a church lady, and she probably was just like, ah, no one talked to me. You know what I mean? Whatever. But it just got to me. I'm thinking, well, if that's the case, how many more people out there are we not shining the light for? Then Jesus said, not just that we're alive, but Jesus also said that we are salt as well. You know, salt in Bible times really had one main purpose. I mean, you could sprinkle a little on your food and make it taste a little, a little better. But there was one real purpose, and that was to be used as a preservative. You know, back in Bible times, if you didn't know your history, they didn't have refrigerators. There was no such thing as called electricity. They didn't have canned goods either. So there wasn't like any canned beans or, you know, canned peas or canned carrots. Even though, who wants canned carrots? I mean, that's disgusting. Or peas, you're right. Or peas, fresh stuff. But they didn't have anything like that. And you know what? On top of it, their climate was warm as well. So their food went moldy very quick. And in order to keep it lasting longer, so they weren't going to the store every single day, they packed some of the food with salt. Some of the fish that they caught, they packed it with salt. If they were fortunate enough to be able to, to have some kind of meat, then some kind of chicken or something, they were packed it with salt in order to preserve it. And when Jesus came with his followers, he said, you are the salt of the earth, meaning you are the preservers of the earth. Then Jesus says this, he says, what good is it if salt loses its flavor? If salt stops becoming salt, if it stops preserving, then what's the point of salt? It's worthless, it's useless. And you know what? Jesus was saying, he was saying that you are salt, you are preservers, preservers of what? Preservers of the truth of God's word, preservers of the truth of what God is and who God is and what God has done. And we live in a world where there's not much salt around right now. Things are getting pretty ugly and pretty moldy. You just have to look in churches, they're questioning theology that has stood for thousands of years, for hundreds of years. They're now questioning, oh, well, God really didn't say this and didn't say that. We live in a society where things are going off. And Jesus says, you are the church. You are the salt. You are the ones to preserve the truth 
of God. You know, it's impossible for salt to actually become unsalty. I, I read that up this week. So if it did, it would just be like white, grainy stuff that nobody would ever want. And when the church stops becoming a preservative for God, then the church becomes useless. And our mission is to preserve God in the lives who are far away from God. Our mission is to shine bright so that through our good works and through our life, that people will see that there is a God, a true living God who loves them. So our mission is to be a massive light and a preserver of truth. But also, not just that, I believe that Jesus, the creator of this world, the one who spoke life into being, the one who came and gave his life for you and me, he created the church to show his massive power. You know, on two different occasions, Jesus looked at his disciples and he gave them a mission and he spoke and he gave them power along that mission. You know, I like James Bond. And just the James Bond movies. And the James Bond movie, uh, even the, the latest ones, they, they kind of got rid of the old guy. But the old guy was a guy called Q. And Q would make all these different gadgets and he would give it to James Bond. And then you knew that somewhere along the movie, James Bond would use one of those gadgets. They were like tools for James Bond to use along the way. And Jesus did a similar thing with his disciples. He gave them tools in order to use, to show his power. Let, let me tell you what, what I mean. In Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus has got all his disciples around and Jesus says this, who do you say I am? And they had like this debate and then Peter, who was probably the most outspoken of the group, said this. He says, you Jesus, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied to Peter and said, yes, Peter, you are right. And then this is what Jesus said to Peter. In Matthew 16, in verse 18, said, Now I say to you, Peter, which means rock, that was the definition of his name, a rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. He says this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And then in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 18, Jesus now not just talking to Peter, but talking to all his disciples. He said this, I tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. You know, many, many people take what Jesus said to Peter. He said, Peter, on you I'm going to build my church. He says, Peter, you have the keys of heaven. And many people have taken that to think that Peter is the gatekeeper of heaven. How many pictures of heaven have you seen? And then there's like St. Peter standing at the door, letting people in, refusing people. That's what people think because of this. He says, you have the keys of heaven. But the reality is, Jesus didn't say that to Peter. This is what Jesus said to Peter. And by saying it to Peter, he also meant to all the other followers of Jesus. He said, Peter. It's on people like you that I'm going to fulfill my purpose in this earth. 
Peter. It's on people like you that I will give privilege and freedom. Peter, it's on people like you that I'm going to give my, the keys to my house as long as you let me work through you. He said, Peter, it's on people like you that along the way, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to give you power. And what you declare forbidden will be forbidden. And what you declare aloud will be allowed just as it works in heaven. So what that means, that means you and me. It's when Jesus was talking to Peter, it wasn't just Peter individually, it was to all the followers of Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then this is what it means. You have been given massive power and incredible trust by Jesus. Massive power and incredible trust by Jesus. You may not feel powerful this morning, but if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a very powerful person. Maybe you're struggling in your life right now. Maybe you're feeling that God isn't there for you. But maybe it's because of this. Maybe you've loosed some things in your life that should not have been loosed. Maybe you allowed some things in your life that should not be allowed. Remember, Jesus said, what you forbid will be forbidden. What you allow will be allowed. And maybe you've allowed some things in your life and the consequences are not good for your life. Maybe you've loosed or you've allowed some wandering eyes away from your spouse and it's causing some marital issues right now. Maybe you've allowed or loosed some stinginess where you're not giving to others and the result is now you're just feeling tight and strapped for cash all the time. Maybe you've loosed some selfishness and allowed some selfishness in your heart and you find that others are distancing themselves from you. Maybe you've allowed some gossip in your life or those around you to gossip. And you're finding that people are now finding it hard to trust you. What you forbid will be forbidden. What you allow will be allowed. And you know, Jesus didn't just say that. He said, you have been given the keys of heaven. The keys of heaven. And I want to challenge you this morning. Are you using those keys right? Are you being responsible with those keys? You know, my dad would never let me drive his car. Never. He was just like, no, you're just not responsible enough. I'm like, dad, I'm responsible. He would never let me drive his car. In fact, when I got to the age of 17, I passed my driver's test. He made me buy my own car, get my own insurance. And then for one month, he wouldn't even let me drive it by myself. He was like riding me hard. He was like, just because you got a license doesn't mean that you're good enough to drive. But he would never let me drive his car. I never got the keys to his car. And this is why. He knew that if I got the keys to his car, I would not use it responsibly. I would just take it for a spin, for a joyride. He had like a... BMW, and then he got a Jaguar and stuff. I don't know how he afforded it, but he got it. And I would have taken it for a spin and a joyride, and I wouldn't have used it for good. And so he knew that. And I ask you this morning, are you using the keys that God has given you right? Are you using them responsibly? I'll be honest with you this, at, at times. I feel That sometimes we've been given the keys to the car and instead of making any progress and getting to the destination with those keys, 
we've just taken it for a spin. I feel at times that we just do that with life. Instead of making any progress, we just take it for a spin. Now, what I'm going to say, it isn't to condemn you at all. It really isn't. Because I love you guys, and, and, and I think that we're the greatest church ever. You know, I think God's going to do incredible things for you. But you know one thing about this church? 75% of the people in this church do not tithe. Do not tithe. Cut, cut it with a, like a knife, the atmosphere now, suddenly. I'm, done. I'm not condemning you, but 75% of people in this church do not tithe. You know, you know what would happen? If 100% of the people in this church tithe. Just think of all the things that go on. The outreaches that we're able to do. The people that we're able to support like Harvest India. Uh, where the, the things that we do for the kids. You know, these turkey giveaways that, 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 that we're doing. You know, the full bashes that we put. Could you imagine what we could do? We could show this world that there is a powerful God. And there is a church who is on a mission to reach people for Jesus Christ. There were, there were people in this church who I know who give 15, 20, 25% of their income to this church. To me, that's just like, wow. Wow. Because those are people who understand the mission. The people who understand that this life is about God and it's not about me. And they understand this mission. Like I said, I'm not here to condemn you, but this is what I feel at times. I feel that we're just taking God for a spin. This is real life stuff. There is a God in heaven who created the heavens and the earth, and he has given you his mission. And that is to tell the world about Jesus Christ. And he wants to give you his power. He created this church, created the church to be a massive light and a preserver of truth. He created the church in order to show his massive power. And then finally this morning, we'll close with this. He created the church to go on a co-mission. Not a one-man mission, but a co-mission. The very last words of Jesus was to go. This is what Jesus said. The very last words he said to his disciples. It's found in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. He says, then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Then Jesus came and he told his disciples. Now, this is what he said. This is his very last command to his disciples who will become his church. I have given you all authority in heaven and on earth. I've given you the keys. What you forbid on earth will be forbidden. What you allow will be allowed. Then he says this, now with what I have given you, the power I've invested in you, the trust I have given to you, now therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you And be sure of this, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. This is what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say, hey guys, when I go, just come and get together as a church, just have a great time together. 
gather once a week just to have a good time together. Jesus didn't say that. Do you know what Jesus said? He says, when I leave, you are to go. You are to go into the world as a church and you are to make disciples. Make disciples. This wasn't a one-man mission. This wasn't just a monkey going into space to discover that if anything can live in space. This was like NASA with the Apollo missions. Everybody coming together. Lots of different people from different backgrounds and different skills coming together for a mission that Jesus Christ would have them do. And this mission that Jesus wants, he wants you to go and make disciples. And he wants you to join with millions of people around this world. Millions who have died and gone before us through the centuries where churches have gathered together and they've gone out and they've made disciples. Jesus isn't interested in churchgoers. He's interested in disciples. He's interested in you going and making disciples. And this isn't just the job of just the pastor. I'm not shooing my responsibilities. It's not just the job of the leaders. It's the job of everyone. It's not just the job of those who are more outgoing than others. The shy people are let off. It's not just the job of, uh, of those who are more knowledgeable and those who are less knowledgeable are let off. It's the job of everybody in the church. Jesus said to go, to make to baptize, and to teach. You might see the problem of the 21st century churches. I think we teach, we baptize, then we make, and then sometimes we go. We've got it all backwards. We expect people to come into church that we'll teach them. But that isn't the case. Jesus says, go. You you must go, and then you make, and then you baptize, and then you teach them the ways that I've taught you. You know, why why do you think Jesus has not come back for 2,000 years? Jesus promised that he would come back. It's not because Jesus is a liar. It's not because Jesus, you know, tried to, to, to trick people. The reason Jesus has not come back for 2,000 years is because the mission is not complete. It's not complete. The greatest mission of all time. It's not complete. And throughout the centuries, it requires millions of people, billions of dollars, unlimited man hours. It takes years and years to complete. However, one day the mission will be complete. And when it is, we will go to heaven. And there will be cheering And there will be rejoicing. Revelation tells us that when the redeemed go to heaven, that the angels and the hosts of heaven will cheer and they will rejoice because the redeemed have made it to heaven. Meaning those that have followed Jesus have made it to heaven. And just as we celebrated with these Apollo missions, just as the world celebrated, There will be a day arise when heaven will celebrate for you. And when that day comes, what will they say? Will will they say, there is, put in your name. I'll say for me, there is Alex. He gave sacrificially to the mission. There's Alex. He shone as bright as anyone to light the way. 
There's Alex. He preserved the truth of God. There's Alex. He went out. He didn't look back. And he helped complete a massive mission, the greatest mission of all time. And you know today, Christ died for you. Christ gave his life for you. He set you free from sin and death. But now he expects you to go. To join the mission. So that this world can see that there is God in heaven who loves them and who died for them. Let's bow our heads in prayer.